Welcome to Place Here Time Now. I'm Pam McKinnon. This is season one, episode six, with collaborators and founders of Classics. This is dramaturg Arminda Thomas and director Awoye Timpo. This episode was recorded over Zoom on Tuesday, March 9th, 2021, two days shy of the anniversary of the pandemic shutdown. Both artists were in virtual residence at ACT, building a reading of Alice Childress's play, Trouble in Mind. I think that that is, you know, spending all that time really discovering things that I had never known and almost didn't suspect. And one of the writers that I came across during that time was Alice Childress. And just reading the work and going, what I, how do I not know this? How do I not know this writer? How have I gone through, you know, all of my life in my education and just not known that this existed? Hi, I'm Pam McKinnon, the Artistic Director of American Conservatory Theater, ACT, and this is Place Here, Time Now. My guests today are Arminda Thomas and Awoye Timpo. Arminda Thomas is co-producer and resident dramaturg at Classics. She has dramaturged projects around the country, in the Bay Area, jazz at Marin Theater Company. Um, She is also served as associate artistic director and resident dramaturg for the Going to the River Festival and the Writers Unit. Woye Tempo is a New York-based director and producer. Her off-Broadway credits include In Old Age by ACT alum Infonisa Odafia at New York Theater Workshop, as well as Good Grief at the Vineyard Theater. Her most recent regional credits include School Girls, the African Mean Girls play at Berkeley Rep. She is the founding producer of Classics, which is a collective exploring classic plays and performance by Black artists. Cannot wait for this conversation. in and talk about, I think, why most recently you've called it a collective, and it's it's Classics, and you are co-founders of Classics. Arminda or Awoye, can you tell me a little bit about the origin story of that? Mm-hmm. Shall I kick it off, Arminda? I think we both know it's better when you do that. <laughs> I, I tee it off and then Arminda adds beautiful things to make it even better. Um, yeah, so there's there's kind of two different origin stories to, to classics. Um, the first origin story is that I was working on a production of Shuffle Along that George Wolfe was directing and he recommended that I read two plays in particular. One was called The Forbidden City by a gentleman named Bill Gunn. And the other was a play by a woman named Kathleen Collins called The Brothers. And I hadn't heard of the playwrights before. I had never read any of their plays. So I went out in in search of them. And on that search, found that play, both of those plays, quite difficult to to find. And also, most importantly, once I did get my hand on them and read them, just said, these are two exceptional, extraordinary plays, and how come I've never heard of these playwrights before? And so it kind of started a longer, larger search for classic plays written by Black writers and a need to 
A, make those plays accessible, to make those plays available for, for students to read, and to make those plays, to, to have those plays in places of readings and productions where the audience could experience them because they speak so beautifully to the, to the, human, um, to the human experience. So that's, that's version one of the origin story. The other version, though, is that I feel so grateful that inside of my own kind of theater upbringing that I really have had such a brilliant opportunity to, to sit next to amazing storytellers like Ruben Santiago Hudson, like George C. Wolfe, who have such a tremendous love of history and love of Black people and Black stories in the theater. And to be in the room with either of those men is to be <laughs> in the midst of some of the great, great greatest storytellers of all time, but also people who love to tell stories about Black theater history. And so I really consider them to be my kind of like Black theater griots who have kind of passed down the stories of Black theater to myself and everybody else who's in the room. And so really classics is an extension of that work. It's passing on the stories, passing on the plays to both our generation, but also making sure that those stories are available and accessible for subsequent generations. Yeah. And how and how did you first get to be in the room with Ruben Santiago Hudson and George C. Wolf? Was it, it as an assistant or an associate on productions or? Yep, exactly. Yep. I, I assisted Ruben uh, first actually on a production he did of an Athol Fugard play called My Children, My Africa at the signature, and then on three or four other productions of, of August Wilson plays. And he has been such an extraordinary, I mean, he's such a master and such a, a beautiful interpreter of August Wilson's work. And so just getting getting to be in the room with him as an assistant was extraordinary. And then with George also was as, as an assistant director on a show. And Arminda, I know that you're a co-founder of Classics, but what was your way in? My way in, well, I studied theater in college and I studied theater in grad school. I was studied dramaturgy at Columbia and, you know, and that was wonderful in case anybody's listening, but I, <laughs> dramaturgy just seemed, well, it was not the, the easiest thing to, to break into if you were not going to do endless fellowships. And so I, I got diverted for 18 years by a, a research gig that turned into a full-time job working in Ossie Davis and Ruby Dee's basement as their archivist. And, and that is when I learned really about theater, and about, you know, with, with my master's degree. That's where I learned about Black theater. That's where I learned about, you know, just so much history again, and, and also getting to listen to them talk and share memories and share experiences. I started working with them when they were doing their autobiography, so around 1997. And I was supposed to go to the library, go to the Schomburg, go to the P Performing Arts Library and put together a timeline so that they would have something to hang their stories on. And I started that. And Ruby D came one day when I, I would go up to their place and, and bring them their timelines. And, and she said, my dear, this is all very lovely, but I think you can find everything you need here. Wow. And I said, okay, sure. And I went down to the basement and she brought, <laughs> they had brought boxes and bags and just an immense amount of stuff. And, um, and I started taking out these newspaper clippings and articles and playbills. 
in like 18 months, I put together something like 27 binders and in my arrogance called it the Ossie Davis and Ruby D collection. And she, you know, like, hi, you have archives and I've done it in his invention. <laughs> and they said, oh, that's great. Okay, now here are the boxes of writings. Here are the, here's the, here are all of the, the audio reels and CDs. Just see what you can do about that now. And that took phase two. <laughs> that took, yeah, that took considerably longer. And also they decided they liked having me around to tell people things. Um, so I got to be institutional memory. I think that that is, you know, spending all that time really discovering things that I had never known and almost didn't suspect. And one of the writers that I came across during that time was Alice Childress because Ruby D was in the first four productions of Wedding Band that Amazing. existed with it. Well, aside from the reading, but the first uh, four productions and just reading the work and going, what I, how do I not know this? How do I not know this writer? How have I gone through all of my life and my education and just not known? After working with the Davises, I started working with Elizabeth Van Dyke on a project called Going to the River which seeks to support the writing of female artists of color, but also to lift up that legacy. Through that association, kind of indirectly, I ended up on a project with a boy. <laughs> the, way, the way it does, the yeah. Way, the, way yeah. One, the way one does. Yeah. And I had just been working on, at that point, I had just been dramaturging a reading of Wine in the Wilderness, and I just, again, come off this high because every time I encountered Alice Shoulders, I came, I, I was just more in love and more insane that, you know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and the first day of the rehearsal, we were walking to Whole Foods or something to grab, you know, a quick lunch like you do. And, uh, and she said, well, what's on your mind? And I was like, Alice Childress is on my mind. <laughs> and that just really vibed with, with whatever was in her mind at the moment. And so she, we finished that project and she said, hey, would you like to come and talk to uh, this group that I'm putting together and, you know, just to see what, what we might do to do more Alice Childress and to do more Bill Gunn and to do uh, and to and to discover and learn together and grow. And I said, yeah, 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 count me into that. And that is uh, how I came in. And just have to say, because I, I could listen to that story that Armina tells. I, I just love it so much. And it so perfectly encapsulates exactly what classics is. It's digging around, falling in love, going down rabbit holes, and then figuring out how the hell do you organize and archive all of this information? Like that's, that is, that's, that's actually, that's the work. I feel like I'm, I am in the midst of a discovery process with Alice Childress. And it's so spectacular because there's things that you think that you read the, you read the play in isolation, and then you think you have some sort of mini understanding of what the play is what it's trying to say, what it's trying to do, what the architecture of the thing is. And then suddenly, even over Zoom, you get a bunch of people in a room together to read the play out loud. And it just starts to explode all of these other colors and personalities that you didn't even know were 
there. It's like being inside of a kaleidoscope, you know, she just cracks the world open for you in such a spectacular way. And that was really the experience of, of the reading and which, which I was so grateful for, because really it was a space for us to just sit together and ask questions together and discover together and explore together. Don't you think so, Arminda? I would, I would agree with that. Absolutely. I think you know, I, I read I read the play and I go, yes, I get this. I, I get this. Or there's this section that I don't get, but I get I get this. I, I feel like and then people start to speak. Mm-hmm. And it is alive. And also I think the thing that that really draws me in is that every character has a story mm-hmm. that you feel like if you tilted it just a little it could be, you could write a play about this person. Mm-hmm. This person mm-hmm. could be, this This person has a world mm-hmm. that is just as alive as the as the central characters were falling. Her language is beautiful. You're reading it. it. It really does. It appeals in that level. But when people start trying to live it, it mm-hmm. just takes on a whole new thing. Mm. As we say, it's like you have the kind of the story of the play, then you have as Arminda is saying, the kind of story of the individuals. And then there's always, the, then there's also the story inside of group relationships. Mm-hmm. And then it's a bunch of people negotiating each other. It's a bunch of different group relationships negotiating each other. And then it's also whatever the kind of larger theme or, or story of the play is trying to negotiate all at the same time. So it's just like, it's vibrating on so many different levels. It's like being in like a VR or some sort of other universe. It's amazing. What was your entree into theater and how does that fit into also being an activist? I had the chance when I was in high school to go and see a production of Anna DeBeer Smith's Twilight, Los Angeles, 1992. And um, we went on a school trip to see it when I was in eighth grade. And I remember sitting in the audience and was, was first of all, just completely floored by the, like the virtuosity, like the sheer virtuosity of what she was doing and the stories she was telling. I was completely, completely blown away. And after the production, there was a talk back with Emily Mann, who had directed the show. Oh, it was amazing to kind of get her insight in, into like the role of the director and put it in and kind of helping to put this piece together. But I think that the most significant part when we went back to school, we didn't go just back into class. The school kind of split us up into a number of groups and we ended up spending, I don't know, maybe it was an hour or two talking about the play, talking about race, talking about what had happened in, La- in Los Angeles, which we had all you know, experienced from, from afar. I had just a deep moment of understanding about the ways that art could not only create beautiful, transformative storytelling experiences, but that the stories that we tell inside of the theater are also a part of how we have conversations as people, as citizens. So I was like, oh, I understand. This is not only what art is, but it's what it can be. It's what the, what the potential is. Oh, I don't have an answer nearly that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what did you think a dramaturg was? When you, yeah, when you can, started to pursue it. I can do that. <laughs> in college, I, 
I went to college with some notion that I was going to some notion of diplomacy. I don't know why it sounded like it sounded good. Um, and I felt like I was a pretty diplomatic person. So, you know, love I, it, it's not actually true. People know I, I, I try to be, but I have no poker face. I did not know this until I was quite grown. So I probably would have failed miserably. <laughs> yeah, I did like a public speaking thing because I like it. And I did an intro to theater thing because I like to read plays. And I took an English class because I like to read. And I was in a theater and English major. But I wasn't really sure what I was going to do because though I, I love rehearsals, this is actually my end. I, I love being in, in the room. I love exploring character, but not necessarily performing character. And so I, I thought about directing and that was a lovely thought. And sometimes I still uh, liked it. <laughs> and sometimes I still um, am, am entranced by that thought. But there's a, there's a certain amount of woo of like, of, great like OA is a great team builder amazing with managing people in groups and as individuals and that is um whew, that's a struggle so I was trying to figure out what I was going to do and Seattle rap I was working in the public information office they were doing a production of I don't remember what but one of the materials they sent was this wonderful gorgeous essay about this piece that just like rocked my world at the time about this piece. It was a Shakespeare piece, I'm sure, but it just, my whole world rocked. And I read this and at the end it said, Mark Bly, dramaturg. And I went to my advisor and said, what the heck is a dramaturg? Cause that feels like something I could get behind. And he said, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. So I said, okay, fine. Um, and then I went to Chicago. I did an internship at the Goodman as an artistic associate because I didn't get the dramaturgy associate. And I did some assistant directing and was enjoying it. But I kept thinking I need to know more. I felt like I just, there was more that I needed to know. There was more I needed to understand. I just kept coming back to dramaturgy. I, and I barely knew what I was doing because you know, then I went to grad school for dramaturgy and discovered that there was so much debate about why is a dramaturg necessary in the room and what does it mean and what is your place? And it was oh, so much work <laughs> and I have no poker face. I remember those years and that and that was the debate. So as, as you're pursuing, you know, a higher degree in that and part of the right? debate is, are we even allowed at the table? That's, a, that's an odd push-pull. The thing to me that's so amazing about working with Arminda as a dramaturg is, you know, Pam, you guys have this great term of a, th a thought partner, you know, um, and I re and really, I think that's what our relationship has become. We've become we've become thought partners. How are we thinking about plays? How are we thinking about people? How are we thinking about telling story? What's the information that this person needs in order to make the leap from here to here? You know what I mean? Like every single moment, it's at every single Thing that exists inside of a play or inside of how we tell a story about something. I feel like that's become the work that we do together. We're just thinking about how to tell stories together. And that has been amazing. We're now a year into in-person theater being a health hazard and being on pause in this country. What have you been up to? <laughs> well, you know, one of the unintended benefits of being 
homebound or home-based is that we have had a lot of time to think about what we want classics to be and to do and to start that. And we'd been having lots of conversations, but we're a group of people that are generally elsewhere and trying to find time to connect, to have, you know, to have two hours once every three months to see what we might push along to get this one thing done eight months from now is generally how, you know, how we've been operating. And because, you know, <laughs> because Oye is in San Francisco and, or I am somewhere else or in Dominique and, and Brittany and, and AJ, just everybody has so many, so many projects. At first we were just kind of shell-shocked and trying to figure out what we were doing and, you know, organizing our bookshelves. But then we got to say, you know, um, well, let's meet once a month and think about what we can push along. What can we, you know, just see what are the things we can push along. And those once a month meetings became once every two weeks meetings. And now we have the standing Thursday meeting and, and other people have had more time to, you know, to maybe be interested in some thoughts that we were having. And so we've been able to find more partners, more collaborations. We've had time to really deeply explore uh, getting uh, a podcast that we're working on off the ground. And, and so, you know, in that way, we've been uh, incredibly busy. So it's been very fruitful in terms of the time to plan and dream and then, and then start to really move some things forward. Why, what, what, what inspires you in this, in this present moment? Or what, you know, what, what has inspired you over the course of the year? What are you hopeful for? We can even push this into the future. For most of the year, I've been trying to stay in a place of possibility. And so exactly as Arminda is saying, you know, we as a group were able to say, okay, well, there's a lot of stuff that we cannot do right now, but what is, what is possible for us right now? One of my favorite writers, his name is um, Ben Oakry, and he has a quote that says, we can redream the world and make the dream real. And it's really been sticking with me over the course of, of the past um, year. So I, I feel like it's been my um, kind of mantra <laughs> over, over the course of the past year. And so continue to seek out just places of possibility, places where, as we say, the, 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 the theaters shut down, the buildings shut down, but the artists did not shut down. And the places where we had the energy or the strength or the you know, emotional strength to, to work, the storytelling is a consistent vibration. The storytelling doesn't go away. And so I feel um, inspired by my fellow artists and citizens and, and for even just the questions that we're, that we're asking, the things that we're thinking about, the, the things that we're um, divining and imagining for the future and for the collaborations that we've been able to have even virtually, even in isolation. Yeah, I feel, yeah, po- possibility. I feel, I feel inspired by possibility. So this podcast is called Place Here, Time Now, and that evokes what can be at the top of a lot of plays. A little bit of language about the setting, a little bit of language about the time in which the story takes place. I'm going to read. I'm going to then ask you to think about your own Place Here, Time Now, while I'm reading a little bit of Dream on Monkey Mountain by Derek Walcott. So his Place Here, 
time now. The play is a dream, one that exists as much in the given minds of its principal characters as in that of its writer. And as such, it, it is illogical, derivative, contradictory. Its source is metaphor, and that it it's best treated as a physical poem with all the subconscious and deliberate borrowings of poetry. Its style should be spare, essential as the details of a dream. Setting, a West Indian island. A spotlight warms the white disc of an African drum until it glows like the round moon above it. Below the moon is the stark silhouette of a volcanic mountain. Reversed, the moon becomes the sun. A dancer enters and sits astride the drum. Okay, so that's I cobbled it a little bit together. It's sort of from prologue and, but there is, you know, that's place here, time now. That's his, his setting and his time. And I wonder, like, how are you feeling? Where's your body? You know, uh, so place here, time now. Exhausted. <laughs> yeah, say it. I am, I am exhausted today because time now. I have a five-year-old who is a joy and growing and, and struggling to hold her own after a year of being pulled away from, you know, from the world that she was getting to know. And I watch her, I, I watch her struggle and I watch her find ways. I watch her, you know, figure out kids messenger and find new ways to play with her friend and, you know, all that, but also watch her need more and try to figure out how how to be more while being very busy and i am grateful because her father is such an excellent co-parent with so much time <laughs> that we both have when when i don't have time there is time i am coming from a place of of great humility because i i sometimes believe that i have this parenting thing down and sometimes know that i do not know what i am doing and she knows it too which is <laughs> which is the saddest part and yet you know every day she gives me another chance and <laughs> every day i take it and um and then i am also just exhausted because I am knee deep in in newspapers from the 1860s trying to track the path of Georgia minstrels and <laughs> Charles Hicks and discovering and and just sucked in I mean really just sucked into this period in ways that are difficult to explain but have become seriously obsessive <laughs> So that that's kind of my place here time now. I am I am exhausted and curious and grateful and hopeful that a year from now I'll look back and I'll know more and feel like that, you know, and go, you know, as the song goes, my soul will look back and wonder, you know, about how we got over this. So that's me. Well oh, now. I can't go after that one now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, well, I'm here, grateful to still have a roof over my head in Brooklyn, New York. The days are starting to get a little longer here on the East Coast, which feels amazing because you, I think we can really feel the sense of um, a new chapter beginning, a new season 
beginning and hopefully each season will continue to be better than the last. Right now, I feel the sun has come out and that always makes me feel good. So that's where I am now. I should say my one, my, my one last thing yeah, please. is to say thank you to you all at ACT because it's been a great journey digging inside of Trouble in Mind. And we just had such an extraordinary group of people, our um, production designer, Jason, our video editor, Beryl, everybody on the team has just been so amazing. And it's just, it's, it's really been a thrill to just dig inside of the play. So I'm just really very grateful and happy that we had the chance to, to, to explore it with you all. Well, I too am inspired and grateful. Thank you so much for this conversation. This has been Place Here, Time Now. I'm Pam McKinnon. Until next time, and check out our other episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. Mm-hmm.